Blog Talk Radio. This is Dr. Ross Green. Welcome to Collaborative Problem Solving at Home. I'm delighted that you were able to join in. This program airs each Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time during the school year. We explore a variety of topics aimed at helping you better understand and help your challenging child and implement the collaborative problem-solving approach at home. If you have a question or comment, call 347-994-2981. That's 347-994-2981. If you call in, you'll be muted until I bring you on the air. And now, let's talk about your challenging child and what we can do to make things better. Hi there. Welcome to today's program. Um, my allergies are better, if you remember from last week, where I was sounding quite nasal. I'm less nasal now, even though spring is in full bloom here in Massachusetts. Um, but enough about me. These are your 45 minutes. Um, so nice to know that uh, so many folks are listening to this program, either live or in the recorded version because there sure are a lot of folks out there who are eager for a more accurate, more compassionate, more productive understanding of their challenging child, eager to, in really specific ways, understand what is getting in the way for their child, eager to understand the role they're playing and how they could play a different role, a different role than just waiting for things to get bad again and then intervening emergently, often with punishment, in ways that often throw fuel on the fire. Eager to, therefore, get good at trying to get your concerns addressed and set limits in a way that doesn't involve imposition of adult will or what I call unilateral problem solving, meaning getting good at plan B, getting good at those three ingredients of solving problems collaboratively, getting the kid's concern or perspective on the table about a particular unsolved problem, getting the adult's concern or perspective on the table about the same unsolved problem, and then working together, brainstorming, collaborating on solutions so that you can come up with one that realistically addresses the concerns of both parties and therefore solves the problem in a way that is mutually satisfactory and stands the test of time. What a concept. But it's hard. So that's why we have this web-based radio program every week during the school year, because it's hard. And um, you're probably stressed out already. Adding hard to stressed out already makes stressed out harder temporarily temporarily practicing plan B even when it's hard is the hard part because you may not have a whole lot to show for your early efforts at plan B the early plan B's that you're doing especially if you've never done plan B before the early plan B's are for practice so that eventually you can get good at this and your kid can get good at it. And if you're lucky early on, you do get some problems solved along the way. But it's for practice early and 
for solving problems durably a little bit after that. But yes, there are parents who are so stressed out and have been doing things in such a different way for such a long time that adding something new that requires new skills and on which they're not going to necessarily make a lot of headway early, boy, that's asking a lot. On the other hand, the goal is to make things better. And that's uh, how collaborative problem solving makes things better. Maybe someday, maybe someday this will be the conventional wisdom for how to raise kids and the conventional wisdom for how to understand them better when they're challenging. So maybe collaborative problem solving won't feel so new to people 10 or 20 years from now. But right now, for a lot of people who've been struggling with a challenging kid, and boy, I, I do get these emails daily, um, many a day, from people who are just really feeling like um, they are spent and desperate. Um, so if you're one of those folks and you just feeling the need for support, um, this show is for you. Actually, I don't like to call it a show. This program is for you. This time is for you. If you're having trouble understanding your challenging kid, this program's for you. Having trouble implementing Plan B, it's for you. Having trouble getting your significant other or co-parent or the folks at school or the babysitter or the grandparents to use collaborative problem solving, this program's for you. So feel free to listen in or call in. The call-in number is 347-994-2981. That, again, is 347-994-2981. There are other support options and possibilities and things coming down the pike. This program isn't the only thing that will be available to you. Uh, other things are in the pipeline. Um, but in the meantime... This program is a great place to ask about a particular kid, um, as many people do by email. And yes, I am finally starting to get through the emails that have accumulated over the last two or three weeks. So if you haven't heard from me, uh, your time is coming. Not that you've been sitting there holding your breath, although some people tell me they have. Feel free to call in. And if calling in is not your style, feel free to send an, uh, a question electronically through the contact form on the Lives in the Balance website. That's www.livesinthebalance.org. So, let's start with some questions that I've received this week. My nine-year-old daughter is explosive. We've been working with the school, and they've decided that she qualifies for an IEP. And we met to review the services and modifications suggested. My concern is that the modifications involve Plan A type strategies, such as reward charts and increasing the percentage of time she's staying on task and staying in her seat without concrete ways of achieving this. I'm hesitant, though, to disagree or make alternative suggestions because Number one, on what authority do I disagree with special ed folks? And number two, 
getting the school's cooperation is often difficult, and I don't want to appear to be complaining about the assistance the school is willing to give. I haven't signed the IEP yet, and I really think there needs to be more collaboration with my daughter so that we can see improvement and less frustration for her. As you mentioned, if she had the skills to act the right way, she would. Any suggestions on how to tell the experts, that's in quotes, on how to do their job? That's the emailer's words, not mine. Meant in the most respectful way possible. I do have some suggestions, um, as you might imagine. Uh, an IEP is supposed to be a collaborative effort between the folks at school and the folks at home, both of whom are bringing expertise to the table about who a kid is and what the kid needs. Uh, one expertise is not more valuable than the other. Parents are experts on their kids, not always completely objective experts, but parents have expertise to bring into the IEP process and to bring to the table as it relates to who a child is, what's getting in their way, and what they believe might work best. Uh, the folks at school bring expertise to the table as well. By the way, not always objective, but certainly expertise. The IEP process, when it's done the way it's supposed to be done, is a collaboration between the folks at school and the folks at home. And so what sometimes happens is parents and teachers, well, first of all, what sometimes happens is the folks at school don't treat the IEP process like it's a collaborative venture, um, and so that can sometimes cause parents to feel like an IEP is being rammed down their throats or, at the very least, that their input is neither being sought nor valued. And that's um, something that's worth saying something about. Like, um, I was kind of hoping that this process would be a collaborative one because um, we value your expertise at school greatly, but we want to um, make sure that our input is reflected in this IEP as well. Now, that may fall on deaf ears, but at least you gave it a shot. Often it doesn't fall on deaf ears. The amazing thing is, often the folks at school wish there wasn't so much pressure for them to appear as experts. Often they wouldn't mind some input. Sometimes they're just not sure how to ask for it. Sometimes they feel like people are expecting them to be the experts, and so they act that way. Sometimes it's worth letting them know that's not how you feel and that you were viewing this as a collaborative process and that you were hoping that your expertise on your kid would influence the discussion as well. And, of course, that's the key word, discussion. Often... Another way in which this whole process goes awry is that the IEP is sort of written before a consensus is achieved on what's really getting in a kid's way. Well, in the collaborative problem-solving territories, you know what's getting in the kid's way. Lagging skills, unsolved problems. It is worth taking the time 
whatever amount of time it takes, it's worth taking the time to get a consensus on what skills a kid is lacking so that everybody around the table, everybody who's part of the process, is viewing the kid through the same lenses. And then a great use of time. It's going to save time if the group is then moving on to achieving a consensus on these specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion a kid's challenging episodes. Or even if they're not challenging episodes, under what conditions the kid is having trouble academically at school. Sometimes academic issues at school do set in motion challenging behavior, and sometimes academic difficulties at school don't set in motion behaviors that are all that far down the spectrum of looking bad, as I call it, but you still have to create that list of unsolved problems, in my opinion, way before the IEP can be written. The amazing thing is, you, you can write an IEP. An entire IEP could be written. An IEP is basically sort of memorializing, concretizing what we think is getting in a kid's way, who we think the kid is, the kid's profile, and then what we think we want to do to try to address the difficulties the kid is having. That's all an IEP is. It's a, it's a document. It's a contract between the folks at school and the folks at home. It's, it reflects the consensus that was supposed to have been achieved so that we can actually think about what would help, what would fix and solve the problems. When that consensus isn't achieved, I find that an IEP is a fairly vacant document. One of the most important parts of the IEP is to lay out in very clear terms what's getting in this kid's way, lagging skills, under what conditions are those lagging skills especially problematic, unsolved problems, how is the school going to try to solve those unsolved problems and through what mechanisms, through what structures, and in what amount of time every day or every week. But you can't get to that second part until you got the first part down pat. So that's where it goes astray frequently. No consensus on lagging skills and unsolved problems. A greatly reduced likelihood that there will be a consensus on the intervention piece. And rewarding and punishing doesn't make the impossible possible. It only makes the possible possible. One of the things that does go on out there is that the minute people identify what's getting in a kid's way or what the problem is or what the kid isn't doing as well as they wish the kid would be doing, immediately the intervention is incentives well, the reality is incentives only do a few finite things well, finite number of things well. Incentives are good at giving kids the incentive to do well, but you don't want to be giving the kid the incentive to do well, number one, if the kid already has the incentive to do well, or if, number two, giving a kid the incentive isn't going to fix what's really getting in the kid's way. Rewarding and punishing doesn't teach skills kids with behaviorally, kids with behavioral challenges mostly lack. Incentives don't do that. Why is there so often this immediate leap from having identified the problem to applying strategies that are motivational in nature? 
well, it's the way we've always done it, but a lot of folks listening to this program could tell you it's not working very well. Let me keep going through here. There are a few other things I wanted to say about this email. Ah, the mom's di- hesitant to disagree or make a t- alternative suggestions. On what authority do I disagree with the special ed folks? Well, you're the one who has to sign the IEP. You've got authority, but that's not the only reason you have authority. That, but you, and you've indicated that you seem to know that you have that authority because you are indicating that you haven't signed the IEP yet. I would never sign an IEP that I didn't agree with. The discussion continues. This is supposed to be a collaborative process. This is a consensus-building process. In the same way that I would say in collaborative problem-solving, you don't sign on to any solution, you don't agree to any solution that doesn't address your concerns and the kids' concerns, I would say you don't sign any IEP that you're thinking hasn't yet done a good job of clarifying what's getting in your kid's way, lagging skills, and the conditions under which it happens, unsolved problems, and don't sign any IEP that where you're disagreeing with what they're going to do to try to fix those things. There's your authority. Plus, you're the parent. You haven't abdicated parental responsibility for the six and a half hours a day that the kid's in school. You're still the parent. And what's being done to or with your kid during the school day um, is going to require your oversight, especially if you have a kid with social, emotional, or behavioral challenges, especially in the case of those kids because there's still too many things being done to those kids that is counterproductive. Those kids, you're way on the hook for oversight and input. Getting these schools' cooperation, this email, I'm repeating this, is often difficult, and I don't want to appear to be complaining about the assistance the school is willing to give. I completely understand that. If the school, though, is agreeing that your kid needs an IEP, if the school is agreeing that your child has difficulties that require an IEP to address, and once again, an IEP is just a contract between you and the school, but that means they're not willing to give the help. They need to give the help. They are obligated to give the help. But I don't know that what you would be doing is complaining. I know that you don't want to have the appearance of complaining, but input is not complaining. Collaborating is not complaining. Clarifying is not complaining. None of those things are complaining. So I don't think it has to be done in a way that's complaining. I think it can be done in a very cordial civil way that sets the stage for collaboration. And you can even start the sentence with this, I just want you to know I'm not complaining, but I do have some concerns about the intervention that is going to be applied here for the things that the IEP specifies are getting in my daughter's way. And it's something that I'd like to talk about a little bit further. 
I'm very appreciative that you all are willing to devote so much time and energy to my daughter. I just want to make sure that it's the right time and energy and that the time and energy is going to be as productive as possible. Once again, the folks at school are not the only experts. Parents bring tremendous expertise to the table. And it's that shared expertise that I find contributes to a very rich, collaborative process that ultimately culminates in a an IEP that is helpful. An IEP is supposed to be helpful. I, I received a... Uh, email from someone recently who um, was telling me about plans they were writing for kids, behavior plans for school. This is a school person. And um, one of the things that they said in their email to me was that um, they were writing these behavior plans mostly to satisfy the requirements of the law. but not because they thought it was going to do the kid any good. Um, I think they'd heard me speak recently, and this was a compliment, I believe. They said that hearing me talk gave them renewed energy and renewed hope that um, behavior plans could actually help and not just satisfy the requirements of the law. IEPs are not simply to satisfy the requirements of the law. They're supposed to help. And they're supposed to be that document that not only codifies what that help is supposed to look like, but also describes what's getting in a kid's way and why what we're doing to help actually makes sense. What we're doing to help should make sense based on who we're saying the kid is in the first place. The reason so many behavior plans and so many IEPs go astray is that they are applying rote strategies, robotic strategies, to problems that are not well understood yet. Another email. I watched your uh, video cast yesterday, those of you who are unfamiliar with that. I was uh, I spoke in Seattle and San Francisco last week, and the I did those talks through a company that broadcasts the talks. Um, my I, I personally would have trouble sitting in front of a screen the entire day. The only upside would be that I could eat whatever food I wanted in front of my screen. I'm not eating that much food these days anyways, but I digress. Uh, So what they're talking about is some of these talks that I do that are broadcast. Some will be in the fall as well. There are no more planned until the fall. And I'm very excited about using CPS in both my home and in my classroom. I came home uh, Friday and talked to my husband about wanting to use CPS in our household. It's now Sunday, and I've been trying it out. The hardest thing for me is catching myself using classic Plan A parenting. The times I've been able to stop and use Plan B, discussions have been just that, discussions and not fights. I I had a question about addressing my concerns with my family. 
I've noticed that when the house is a mess, I get crabby. Is it okay for me to say, I've noticed that when the house is a mess, I am crabby. Can we figure out a way to keep the house in better order together so I don't feel it is such a big job? I have a very fun profession. I I get to answer emails like this, and I love answering emails like this. I wasn't being sarcastic in the least. Number one, good for you for giving Plan B a try. Number two, recognize that continuity, continuous effort, is the way to make Plan B work. It's not a technique. It's a process. Early solutions arrived at in Plan B tend not to stand the test of time. Early Plan B is for practice. I think this is a great one to start with, the house being a mess. But let me go back to the first part of the email. The the hardest thing for me is to catch myself using classic Plan A parenting. For the unfamiliar, Plan A is when you're imposing your will or doing what I call unilateral problem solving. You know what, before I keep going, I want to... I always want to remember to give people the um, phone number, 347-994-2981. I know a lot of schools are on break this week, uh, especially around here, and so we may not have any callers today, so let's keep going. Uh, Yes, if you've been a classic Plan A parent, then when you start trying to transform parenting over to Plan B, There's going to be a lot of residual plan A, but it is a tremendous sign of progress, tremendous sign of progress, that you're catching yourself using plan A. That's an incredibly good sign, a great sign, catching yourself using plan A. That's phenomenal. Now, here's what I will say. Um, The next line is telling. The times I've been able to stop myself and use Plan B, that that sounds a little more like emergency Plan B. And I think it's great that there are discussions that are taking place. But I just, if if it is taking place emergently, if I'm right about that, the email is not completely clear about that. But if it is taking place emergently, then I've got something I'd like you to do before you try your next Plan B. Fill out the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. You can download it from the Lives in the Balance website. It's in the paperwork section. You'll find that on the left side of the homepage. Fill out the ALSIP for, well, I guess for whoever you think you want to be doing Plan B with. The top part of the ALSIP will help you identify lagging skills so that you have the right lenses on. The bottom part of the ALSIP will help you identify the specific unsolved problems that are reliably and predictably setting in motion challenging episodes in your household. And one thing's for sure, one of the unsolved problems in in this household is the house being a mess. And mom, I don't blame you for that making you crabby. But the house being a... Well, truth is, here's the interesting thing. There are some households where it wouldn't be an unsolved problem, believe it or not, because in some households, no one in the household minds the mess. And so, no one's crabby about it. And so, it's not an unsolved problem because it's not setting in motion challenging episodes. But in this household, 
it is a mess and it is an unsolved problem because somebody wants to do something about that problem. Good, now it's unsolved. But you want to make your list of unsolved problems so that you can start trying to solve them proactively in a planned way rather than emergently. If you, in other words, you don't want to wait till you get crabby to do plan B. Plan B is going to be harder to do when you're crabby. I'd rather do plan B when I'm not crabby proactively, planned. And this is one that can be talked about in a planned, proactive way. Let's, let's get more technical. Uh, you're asking me if it's okay to say, I've noticed that when the house is a mess, I am crabby. Can we figure out a way to keep the house in better order together so I don't feel it is such a big job? That's an excellent stab at the uh, empathy step of Plan B. And for the unfamiliar, the empathy step, which is the first step, is where you're putting the kid's concern or perspective on the table, in this case, about the house being messy. Uh, the second step, the define the problem step, is where the adult is getting their concern or perspective on the table on the same unsolved problem. The third step is where adult and kid, or in this case kids, are brainstorming solutions so as to get the problem solved in a way that addresses the concerns of all the parties. So now I'm going to nitpick a little. I've already been complimentary. I'm delighted that this mom is trying Plan B in her household. Um, But let me, let me nitpick a little. I've noticed that the house is a mess. I'm crabby. I feel like we're already putting mom's concern on the table. Can we figure out a way to keep the house in better order together so I don't feel it is a big job? I feel like we've got a premature invitation step there. So let me rewind the tape a little. I love the first line as a good way to get the empathy step going. I've noticed that the house is a mess. What's up? Whoops. There I go. Forgetting to turn my cell phone off before the program. Um, now it's off. You heard it, right? I've noticed that the house is a mess. What's up? That would be the way I'd begin the empathy step. Mom being crabby would be her concern. I'd hold off on that until they define the problem step. I want to gather as much information from the kids about, number one, did they notice the house was messy? Why do they think the house is messy? When is the house messy? What about the house is messy? I'd want to get all of that clarified before I moved into mom's concerns. The goal of the empathy step, you don't want to leave the empathy step until the concern or perspective of the kid, or in this case, kids, is uh, fully clarified. Then you're ready for you being crabby, and you'd want to be, what are they going to say in the empathy step? Uh, I don't know. They might say, uh, we don't have time to keep the house clean, or um, it's not my mess, it's Billy's mess, or... Um, I got so much homework that I don't have time to clean the dining room table. Or I think it's okay to eat food in my room and leave the wrappers laying all around. doesn't bother me. 
not that that particular line would freak a lot of people out because a lot of people ask me the question, what if the kid doesn't really have a concern about it? Well, at least they have a perspective. Your concern comes next, I promise. You probably do have a concern about food being eaten in rooms and wrappers, so you'll express that, and we just hope that by taking the kids' concerns into account, we can take the kid will take yours into account as well, as I already, as I always say. When will the kids start to take your concerns into account? Right around the same time that you start taking theirs into account. But we don't want to move on to mom being crabby until we have the clearest possible sense of the kid's concern or perspective on this unsolved problem. Then we're ready for the define the problem step. And mom, it might not be such a terrible idea for you to go into more detail um, about why it's making you crabby. And you've given us a hint. In your invitation, which we've now agreed was a bit premature, but we're going to come back to it because I think it's a fine invitation. Well, sort of. It's missing some information. Can we figure out a way to keep the house in better order together so I don't feel it is such a big job? All right, that last part tells us a little bit more about what mom's concern is. We know nothing about what the kid's concern or perspective is yet. But it sounds like mom's crabby. If I'm going to read between the lines here, and of course I try not to be a genius no matter when, not just on this web-based radio program, but I try not to be a genius no matter when I'm doing Plan B. But I'm reading between the lines. I think mom's the one doing most of the cleaning, and it's turning out to be a very big job for her. Well, all the more reason to get the kids' concern or perspective on the table. Is it possible that they're going to say something like... Um, I know if I leave it out, you'll clean it up. That'd be a good thing to know. Be a good perspective to know about before I went into trying to solve the problem, before I sort of packaged the problem with the invitation. In the invitation, you're packaging, you're restating the concern or perspective of both parties. But you can only do that if you know what the concern or perspective of both parties are. Let's pretend. Let's pretend that what the kids, and let's pretend we're doing this with one kid. I've noticed that the house is a huge mess these days. What's up, kid? Well, it's not just my mess. Well, I didn't say it was just your mess. I was just noticing that it had been really messy, and I was wondering if you noticed, too. Yeah, I noticed. Um, any thoughts on the house being messy? Well, I don't really notice the house being messy, but I agree with you that it's messy. I'm just telling you it's not all my stuff. Yep, I got it. By the way, we're still in the empathy step here. I know it's not all your stuff, but is it some? is some of it your stuff? Well, I guess, uh, like, I know sometimes I leave stuff in the TV room, like plates and stuff, because sometimes we eat in there. Yep, I've noticed that. But it's not just my plate. Nope, didn't say it was just your plate. Any other messes? Well, my room's a pit, but, uh, you know, I'm so busy. You know, I got after-school stuff and then 
you know, maybe if I'm lucky, I get to take a little break in front of the TV, and then I got like two hours of homework a night. You know, things pile up in my room, but I just so busy I can't seem to find the time to clean it up. Got it. Now I'm going to come out of character for a second. Is the kid's concern a perspective on the table? Sounds like it. I mean, we might want to drill a little further. I think I will. I don't like to leave the empathy step until I feel like I really have a clear sense. And by the way, I hope you're noticing this is being done proactively at an opportune moment, not emergently, not when mom has now gotten so spent about the unclean house that she's crabby and can't and is doing this emergently that that would sound much different and would be far less productive let's go back anything else about any any other thoughts on why the house is so messy well i think we know that if we make a mess you'll clean it up i, I was kind of afraid you all knew that I do clean up after you all, don't I? Yeah, so I don't think anybody, dad included, thinks we really need to pick up after each other. I mean, I don't think it's that fair, but kind of the way it is. Yes, it is the way it is. Anything else I should know about why the house is so messy from from your perspective? No, I think that's pretty much it. So what you're telling me is that you know that you sometimes leave wrappers in the TV room because um, you know I'll pick it up, but and that the main reason your room is messy is because you're so busy with all your stuff that you don't have time to clean it up. That pretty much it? Yep, I'm coming out of character again. We've just finished the empathy step, and I would call it a an empathy step of average length. There's going to be unsolved problems that you have to drill much further on. The empathy step can take 15, 20 minutes. The empathy step can travel over several days of people really trying to clarify what's getting in the way, especially on fairly complicated unsolved problems. Actually, I would say that was a relatively brief empathy step. It wasn't even of average length, but we're doing a radio program. We'll keep it exciting. Now it's time for the define the problem step. This is where mom gets her concern or perspective on the table. The thing is, I know you guys think I'll clean up after you, and I know that's the way it's always been, but I'm not that happy cleaning up after you guys. It makes the whole thing is so, there's too much, and I really feel like I need some help, and me cleaning up everything really makes me unhappy and crabby. I don't know if you've noticed I've been crabby, but I've been crabby. And that's because I'm spending too much time cleaning up after people around here. I think that's a pretty clear concern or perspective on the part of the mom on the same unsolved problem. I'd say that's pretty clear. Time for the invitation time to brainstorm solutions and what I would encourage here and you can watch video on the lives in the balance website on this as well if you go to the plan B in action section you can watch some videos more are coming very soon but what I encourage people to do is package is restate the two concerns um, 
so as to package the unsolved problem, so as to make it crystal clear what needs to be addressed so this problem gets solved. Starting with the words, I wonder if there's a way. I wonder if there's a way for us to do something about you being so busy that you don't have time to clean your room, but still make it so that I'm not cleaning up after you all and the only one really doing any cleaning up around here. You got any ideas? And now you're brainstorming solutions. Solutions that will address the concerns of both parties. So, Mom, just a little bit of fine-tuning there. But what I'm fine-tuning on is timing. If the plan B that you've been trying... First of all, once again, good for you for giving this a whirl. Of course, once you get good at it at home... I'm going to encourage you to try it in your classroom, too. Secondly, let's get your husband on board as well, if he's not. But now, more importantly, let's do Plan B proactively. Let's organize the effort so that we know exactly what unsolved problems we want to be working on. And I'd pick two or three as high priorities first. It sounds like cleaning the house is one of them. Let's do this proactively, not emergently. If what you've been doing is emergent, let's do it proactively. And then let's make sure we do the empathy step, make sure we get the kids' concern or perspective on the table. Then let's even be, let's be even more explicit about your concern or perspective on that same unsolved problem, and that will set the stage for really productive brainstorming because really productive brainstorming means first we got clear concerns on the table, and now we're thinking about solutions that will address both of them, both sets. If we don't get both sets of concerns on the table, we won't get them addressed because we won't know what concerns we were trying to address in the first place. There you go. Collaborative problem-solving radio. What a concept. And uh, boy, I, I, I love these emails, so do keep them coming, even though I'm a little slow at answering them sometimes. Actually, those of you who've uh, sent me a message lately have been responded to fairly quickly. It's just that I've got to get through the uh, pile of ones that I couldn't get to over the last two or three weeks. I I think that's going to do it for today's program, though. Um, Thanks for joining in, either live or in the recorded version. Um, if you're on school vacation, I hope you took vacation someplace good and someplace, if you were traveling, that didn't involve flying through volcanic ash. Wow. Can you imagine being one of the people stranded for days in an airport with no concept whatsoever of when you're getting out of there? Wow, got to empathize with those folks. Uh, But I hope you'll join in on the program next week, and I hope you found today's program to be useful. And um, 
We'll do it again next week. Take care.